are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. This is not original, I don't think, to Bishop Pasley II, but I, I heard him say, and I believe he would say it to his daughters, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. I think that's just a beautiful way to live. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. This morning I would like to speak on the subject, a second opinion. It seems everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion, and that's good. I'm glad that everyone does have an opinion about things. Just so happens that some are more willing to share their opinion than others. And you know who you are. And we know who you are. It's not that we don't have opinions. We just choose to keep them close to us. So many things to have opinions about, isn't there? So many different things that you can have an opinion about these days, and some of it matters and most of it doesn't, but it's amazing to see people get heated in a heated argument about something that doesn't matter, but they've got an opinion about it and they want everybody to know. And in our world... Uh, I think it's unfortunate that we have this technology called social media that allows people to share their opinions about everything, regardless if they know anything about it or not. It's just part of life. Social media is just part of life. And, and again, I... I find myself, you know, if I'm on social media or looking, I, I desperately want to say things, but I don't have the luxury. I just do not because I would be out of a job really <laughs> fast. But opinions are a view or judgment formed about something it's not necessarily based on fact or knowledge, it's just an opinion. And we all know the Browns are going to the Super Bowl, that's a, that's a fact. The opinion of... I didn't, I didn't hear that. Did you say the Dolphins are going? I, no. Some think that the Patriots are going, that's a strong opinion. It's really unfortunate. But everybody has their opinions. There's a character in the book of Job who decides to weigh in. Now, again, I always, anytime I reference the book of Job, I'm nervous because it's such a complicated book. And, but... But what we understand is, is Job goes through a difficult trial in his life, and then there are 
three characters in particular who show up, his friends, right, who show up and try to give him advice on why this happened and how he should consider what happened. And I, I found this character then in, in Job that I guess I hadn't really recognized before, but he decides, and, and it seems that these three characters that, we, that, that are the bulk of Job, going back and forth with Job, they are, they are older people. They're old people, seniors. I don't know what that age is. But Job chapter 32 introduces us to another character. And it says, so these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, and Kristen did so good reading all those names on Wednesday. I'm not even going to try because it would be brutal. Verse number three. So he, he, this, this Elihu, that's how you say it. Elihu, is it Hugh? Elihu or Hugh? Hugh. Whoville. Elihuville. All right, so Elihu, he, he's kind of ticked off about it, but he says also against his three friends, he, he's mad at Job because he's, he feels like Job is trying to justify himself rather than God. And then in verse 3, he's also mad at his three friends because they found no answer and yet they had condemned Job. It was as if they just kept condemning him but really had no answer for him. And he says, and it says in verse 4, now because they were years older than he... Elihu had waited to speak to Job. Now, isn't that respectful? He kept his mouth shut because the three friends were elders, and that's wise. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Wow, yeah, great start. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Where is he going? Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Isn't that true? If you're older, you should be wiser. Leave that there. And then verse 17, he said, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion. He'd had enough. I'm going to share my opinion. And all the elders, aren't you glad when the young people share their opinion about life? Doesn't it bless you? And I revert back to what Brother Pasley says. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. But he said, I, I, I want to declare my opinion, for I am full of words. 
The spirit within me compels me. You ever felt that way about your opinion? Some of you have sat in meetings at your work, and you just couldn't take it. Just welled up inside of you. I listened. He said, I, I, I listened to me. I also would declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened for your reasonings while you searched out what to say. And I, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak. <laughs> and you've been here too. I will speak that I may find relief. I've got to say it because I just can't take it. I must open my lips and answer. And how tragic that's been for so many people. You are relieved, but nobody else is. Now, again, I'm not even going to dive into why he did all that. I just found that interesting that here's this guy who shows up He just cannot take it. He must give his opinion. I'm reminded of the Proverbs in Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Opinions shape our actions. Opinions direct our activities. Ever had an opinion of somebody? That affected, that affected what you did? Our opinions, whether we state them or not, affect our actions. Ever had an opinion about a restaurant that uh, affected whether you went or not? So what is your opinion? I'll give it to you. Of all the things you have an opinion about, I want to consider two very important opinions because we all have opinions. Let's not lie in this room today. You, you have an opinion. But the opinions that I want you to consider today are, what do you believe about God? What's your opinion of God? And what do you believe that God believes about you? What do you believe about God? What is your opinion of God? And what do you believe that God believes about you? Because your opinion matters. Your opinion affects what you do with your life. Your opinion directs how you live your life. See, on these two questions, where do our opinions come from? Because... Many things shape our opinions, don't they? How we were raised, our family environment, whether we had two parents, one parent, no parents, were adopted many times, were shaped by those things. But where does this opinion about God come from? Where does it come from and what does it inform us? We understand from the beginning there were elements, and when I say the beginning, the beginning of mankind, there were elements that shaped Adam and Eve's opinion about God and what they believed that God believed about them. 
See, God's word informed Adam. He told him how he felt about him. He told him what he should do. This is what was intended from the beginning, that the word of God would inform the opinion of man on how man should view God and how man should view how God views them. But we realize the nature of sin and the rebellion opens up this world of post-sin. And our opinion on what we believe about God and what we believe God believes about us is now primarily formed by the enemy, principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. See, it was the enemy, it was Satan who said, did God really say? Satan is the father of lies. And he has a way of shaping our opinion about God. He has from the beginning. And we also realize that our own mind, our own sinful nature, our own carnal nature has a way of manufacturing opinions, our own human wisdom. We tend to create our own ideas of the way things should be, how easy it is for us to assume our opinion is correct. Today we realize the power of our own opinion. Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And I'm reading out of the ESV We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when our obedience is complete. Isn't that where the wrestling match, isn't that where spiritual warfare is? It's this opinion. Whose opinion is going to win out? We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I could almost guarantee you in your life there have been arguments against God. You wrestle with thoughts and I wrestle with thoughts that oppose God. There are opinions in my heart that come natural to me that are seemingly above the wisdom of God. God sometimes doesn't make sense. God sometimes doesn't quite fit into a nice puzzle that I can clearly see how it all works out. And my opinion can impact my decisions. The prophet Jeremiah made us sure to understand exactly what to think, though, of our own passions and desires. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. I want to tell you today and I want to remind us today that your first opinion is not the best opinion. What all what comes natural to you, what seems to come first to your mind is not always the best opinion. And Jeremiah made sure we understood that the heart is deceitful. 
That our desires are not the litmus test for what's right and what's wrong. We are not to measure the truth of God's word based on my feelings about what is being said. But it's so easy to have my own opinion that is loftier than the knowledge of God. So let's give a little more context to what Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Why? Because our own carnal nature, our own fleshly desires are contrary to the law of God. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. I, I, I know what the word says, but I think I've got a better opinion. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. In other words, when we follow the ways of man, when we follow our own carnal nature, what is produced? Nothing but curse, nothing but but emptiness, nothing but void. It's thorns and thistles. It's nothing that brings benefit, real benefit to other people says that's what comes from the opinion of man. But he said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What is he saying? That there will be trying times that come. There will become times in your life where things are just not the way they used to be. It'll be dry. It'll be wilderness. But he said, when your trust is in the Lord, when your opinion is not about yourself, but your opinion is for God and with God, even though you walk through difficult times and dry times, it's as if you have roots that reach to the streams and you can survive and not only survive, you can still produce fruit in the middle of a drought. Oh, hallelujah. The first opinion is not the best opinion. And we understand in our world today that there's an importance to a second opinion. See, we'll take our cars to the shop. And if we're not comfortable with what they tell us, we will get a second opinion. Anybody ever felt like you had to get a second opinion on a car? Thank God for honest mechanics and honest preachers. When we go to the doctor's office, they give their opinion of what's wrong with you. Does it bother you that they practice medicine? But they give their opinion of what's wrong with you. And thank God for doctors and medical workers who do their best to help us understand what's going on. But there are times 
There are times when you say, you know what, I'm not sure. They're they're doing their best. They're humans. They're looking at everything they can look at to give you their best assessment. But there are times when you need a second opinion. And we know that it's common and expected that there are times that we do this. And I was driving on 75 North not long ago, coming up out of downtown Cincinnati, and I saw a billboard for a hospital that jumped out at me, and it said, a second opinion changes everything. A second opinion changes everything. And I thought, how true that is. How important it is that you and I get a second opinion. You see, you have an opinion about God today. And oftentimes that opinion comes from the lies of Satan or it comes from our own heart, our own carnal, deceitful, wicked heart. So I'm suggesting today that you might want a second opinion. We need a second look, a second consideration because we can't have another opinion. I'm reminded of Elijah who was on Mount Carmel, and he gathered the people together, and he said to them, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you going to wrestle between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And isn't that how we live sometime, straddling between two opinions about who God is? Not quite sure what we want to believe about God. Not quite sure how God fits into the, uh, 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 the circumstances of our life. And we're like those people on Mount Carmel who are torn between whether to follow God or follow their hedonistic flesh. What are we going to do? And the prophet said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? And I want to remind us today and challenge you, you can't be who God wants you to be. You can't bear fruit and be the people of God that he wants us to be by living in the land of in-between opinions. At some point, you've got to decide whether or not you're going to believe the report of the Lord. Like the people who had become content with the status quo. I'm just amazed. Here's how they responded to his question. How long will you falter between two opinions? But the people answered him not a word. Uncertainty creates lack of commitment. Uncertainty creates lack of commitment. And lack of commitment creates silence. They were not going to say anything because they really didn't know what they believed. This is fleshed out, I believe, as Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross with two people hanging next to him. 
The story of these two thieves on the cross with Jesus, I think, tells us a little bit about two opinions and describes the challenges faced by humanity concerning the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. One thief's opinion of him was, I'm not sure who you are. I'm not sure if I believe who you are. I'm not sure I believe who everybody is saying that you are, what you're claiming to be. You look just like an ordinary guy. But by chance, you are who you say you are. If by chance you are the Christ, when you save yourself, save me too. If you are the Christ. My opinion is I, I mostly don't believe that you are the Christ. I think the opinion of this thief can easily be the opinion that all of us have considered. Are you really the Christ? God, are you real? God, are you really everything that that preacher says that you are? God, are you really everything the Bible says that you are? And if you're able to save yourself from the cross of culture that says you're irrelevant and outdated, then I'll believe. If you're able to save yourself from the humiliation of scientific research that says that you're not real, then I'll believe. If you're able to save yourself from the clutches of doubt when I pray and don't see anything change, then I'll believe. I think we're closer to that thief than we realize. If you're the Christ, and save yourself and, and me too. If you're really God, why is all this stuff happening in our world? Why are you allowing all of this? It's an opinion about God. He offered an opinion about God. If you can save yourself, then save me too. It's so easy to have that opinion. Some of you might sit here today with that opinion. God, if you're, if you're real, you can save yourself. If you can somehow show some grand miracle, then I'll, I'll believe. We could think that the thief was alone in his opinion, but you don't have to look very much farther in the text and surrounding this story to see this thief wasn't alone. The Pharisees had this opinion. The Sadducees had this opinion. Judas had this opinion. Pilate had this opinion. Herod had this opinion. The soldiers had this opinion. The public had this opinion. You could even argue some of his own disciples had this opinion. Nobody really had much confidence. But there was a second opinion on the cross. And there was another thief on the cross who said, do you not even hear, fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, 
For we receive the due reward of our deeds. We are here because of what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, my opinion is that he's Lord. Hanging on the cross next to him in that condition, his opinion was, I'm not wondering if he's Christ. I'm saying that he is Lord. There's a second opinion, a second way you can view and live. And that's to say, I can't answer all the questions, but I simply want to call him Lord today. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's no doubt who you are. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, that thief was hanging there. He said, I'm here because my, disease, my deeds have caused me to be here. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm without hope. But I'm willing to get a second opinion. And would you, Jesus Christ, remember me? I heard somebody say it like this, and I've always thought about it when I've read this. He says, remember me. In other words, I'm broken. I'm torn apart. But would you remember? me? Would you put me back together when you come into your kingdom? Remember me because our opinions matter. They matter. And I think that comes most natural to us is we view with this if you are opinion. But there is a second opinion that I hope rises in your heart today that simply says you are Lord. It's the second opinion that moves us towards heaven. It's the second opinion that places us on a path to salvation. Can I tell you today, it's the second opinion that changes everything. The thief knew he was sick. He knew he was broken. Culture had captivated him. His deeds had defined him. There is no doubt what the opinion of him was on that crowd on that day. But he said, I want a second opinion. And it's the second opinion that changes everything. God's original opinion about us after we sinned was that we're a sinner. And we're distant from him. But God too has a way of viewing us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Our deeds deserve death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Christ, without Him in our life, we can only be seen as sinners. The Apostle Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And we need God's second opinion of us. See, Jesus would tell Nicodemus, Pharisees, a Pharisee, you must be born again. You must have another start. 
that just who you are in the natural is not who God wants you to be. There's a second opinion that God has for you. You need another perspective. That's why the gospel is so powerful. Because the gospel doesn't leave us in our condition. The gospel doesn't leave us in our original opinion. It gives us a second opinion. It rewrites our story. It's as if the great physician is able to look at the charts. He's able to look at what was written about us. He's able to look at the flaws and the mistakes. And he says, I know what that opinion said. I know what the doctor originally said about you, but I want to give you a second opinion, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives all of your sins. And when I hold up the chart, it's a little bit of a different opinion. Oh, hallelujah. That's why Paul would say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And he goes through the armor of the Lord. And one of the pieces, the piece for your mind, is the helmet of what? Salvation. It's a second opinion. It's a second opinion about who you are. Because you, you wrestle with your own thoughts. You wrestle with who you are. You wrestle with who God is. And he's saying, I've got a second opinion for you. I'm going to give you a helmet that brings salvation. A helmet that says, in spite of what you've done, there is mercy that endures forever. In spite of where you've been, I can make all things new. Oh, hallelujah. He gives us the helmet of salvation. Sets us free. First John 3.20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So what's your opinion today? What's your opinion about God? Is your opinion cause you to not quite serve God with everything that you have? Does your heart condemn you? I'm telling you, we serve a God who is greater than our hearts. So I come to a close today. I'm reminded of this great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's impossible. It's impossible for the unrighteous to inherit the kingdom of God. As much as I'd love to ignore the word of God. I can't let opinions supersede the knowledge of God. He says, unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, 
nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. God offers a second opinion. He offers a second opinion about these sins and these labels. These identities Just like the thief on the cross, he's a thief. Clearly, he's a thief. Look at him on the cross. He said, you know what? My deeds got me here. My life got me here. But Paul would remind us there is another opinion that God has of you. That's not the only opinion that God has of you. And he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus, in the spirit of our God. Washed, forgiven, sanctified, set apart, holy, justified, completely redeemed, renewed, changed. How does that happen? By the name of the Lord Jesus. In the spirit of our God. Would you stand with me this morning? There's an opportunity today to get a second opinion. To not just get a second opinion, but to live a second opinion. See, our flesh and our mind and our carnality, we have an opinion of who we are. We have an opinion of how we relate to God. You have an opinion of what God thinks of us. And some of you struggle most with how you think God thinks of you. Struggle with what does God say about you. And I'm telling you here today that we serve a God who went all the way to the cross to give you a second opinion, to give you a second chance at life allow you to be born again, however you were born, whatever was in your life that caused you to be who you are, whether it's your DNA, a flawed DNA, whether it's your own upbringing, things that have happened in your life that you had no control over that formed who you are, things, tragedies, difficulties that have happened in your life. Or your very own mistakes that have caused you to have this identity of who you are. And I'm telling you today that God offers a new place, a new opinion about who you are. I'm not trapped by what the enemy says I am. I'm not trapped 
by what I think I am. When I can surrender my opinion about me to him, when I can surrender and bow my knee at an altar and say, God, heal me, forgive me, deliver me, I surrender all to you. He can change who you are. And I know today, I'm looking at a lot of people today who made that decision. You kind of get lost in the crowd because you look nice and you kind of act normal. But you know you were cray-cray. You know you were messed up. You know, you know what you've done, where you've been. But God said, I can change who you are. I can change who you are. It's the second opinion that God has of you. For I invite you to come, and I'm going to invite all of you to come in just a moment. You see, it starts with a surrender to God. Change doesn't happen without surrender to God. Change doesn't happen without you acknowledging that you need Jesus Christ in your life. And you're like the people on Mount Carmel. There's two opinions. That God is God. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Or my flesh is Lord. And why do you falter between two opinions? And some of you will find freedom like you've never found before when you completely surrender to Jesus Christ. You can't bear fruit. You can't see great things happen until you completely surrender where you trust the Lord with all of your heart. Because cursed is the man who trusts in himself. You can't be partially serving your flesh and wholeheartedly serving God. It's impossible. And so today, the Lord's challenging some of you to give you a second opinion that he loves you beyond who you are or who you think you are. God, I pray right now, God, for everyone under the sound of my voice today. God, your presence has moved in this place, God, in a very specific way. God, there is hope today in this room. There's an opportunity for you to begin something in some people's lives that they never thought were possible, but they're afraid, Lord. They're afraid to accept your opinion because they're, they think they know what the outcome will be. They think they know what their friends will say and what it'll look like, Lord. But I'm praying for courage today. I'm praying for courage today to surrender all of themselves to you today. God, if somebody has never repented of their sins, if they've never acknowledged like the man on the cross that my deeds have, have caused this, Lord, I pray today that you would bring forgiveness. You would bring a desire to repent, Lord. Someone has never been baptized in your name, taken on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism. I pray for courage today. I pray, God, that your spirit would fall in this room now. 
God, and you would change us from the inside out. Oh, God, we need your opinion about us. We need your opinion about us, not our opinion of ourselves. Lord, we need your opinion. And God, you're a merciful God. You're a kind God. You have great things in store for us. In the name of Jesus. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.